Welcome and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary and me, Ron Rains, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Do what's best for your kid and for yourself because if you can't take care of yourself, you're definitely not going to be able to take care of that kid and that's not fair. And I know that my daughter will be well taken care of with them. Don't have an abortion. Give this child a chance. All I could think about was needing to save my son. My name is Kelly Rourke-Scary. I am the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and creator of the You Before Me campaign. I have a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. I was adopted at the age of three days, born to a teen birth mother, raised in a closed adoption, and reunited with my birth mother in 2007. I have worked in the adoption field for over 15 years. And I'm Ron Raines. I've worked in radio since 1999. I was the co-host of two successful morning shows in Prescott, Arizona. Now I work for my wife, who's an adoption attorney, and I'm able to combine these two great passions and share them on this podcast. So today's podcast, we're talking about when another adopted sibling joins a family, when a family decides to pursue a second adoption. One of my favorite quotes is by somebody who's unknown that says, not by blood, but bonded to each other just the same. What was found in a study that was published in 1979 is that sibling relationships are among the most significant and potentially important bonds that individuals have in the course of their lifetime. I find this absolutely fascinating because it's not just reflective of an adoptive household. I think it is reflective of any household where they're siblings. And these next two podcasts, we're going to talk about siblings and traditional biological household, a blended family household, you know, a foster family household. There's lots of different families that can experience the same joys, the same issues, and have a lot of the same outcomes. So I think this is a really interesting topic that there's not a lot of research on. And you think that there would be, especially with regards to adoption. If you look up adoption and siblings and research studies, there's really just not a lot out there. So that's definitely a point where as an adoption uh, community, we really need to focus on. And I found that very interesting because as I was reading the uh, materials that you kind of prepared for this episode, it really brought me back to my childhood and my relationship with my brother and my two sisters. And it was fascinating because family dynamics can diverge so vastly. You know, like I look at my wife's family and I think how their relationships went from one thing to another and then you know, changed again. And my family is completely different as far as, and so, yeah, I would be very interested in deeper studies of family relationships, not just as children, but as they grow up into adulthood and become, you know, old farts like me. And yeah, I, it was very fascinating. So thank you for providing all this information. One of the reasons I find this so fascinating is I grew up adopted. And my brother was adopted five years after I was. And so I grew up in in an adoptive family with an adopted sibling. And when I talk about this, the question I get is usually, well, what was it like? Well, I don't have a reference point to compare it to. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, 
it's the same as everybody else. We weren't raised to my knowledge any differently than if we had been biological siblings. You know, we fought pretty much all of <laughs> our childhood years and now um, we're great. I love seeing him. I love his children. Um, I love his future wife. I love, you know, we're great. And so in reading studies of siblings, I don't see any difference between us than had we been biological. Right. And because as you grew up, that is all you knew. That was your, you know, quote unquote, lived reality. So, and, you know, the parents presumably wouldn't treat you any differently than they would their own biological children, hopefully. You know, I mean, obviously there's exceptions to any rule, but I would think that, yeah, it's it's the exact same as far as how you're raised and how you grow up and your relationship with a brother, sister or whatever. What's so interesting about that is, and you just brought up that point, is that they wouldn't bring you up any different. Well, they didn't have a reference point either because they mm -hmm. didn't have any biological children. So our normal was their normal. And that's what a lot of people who are not in the adoption triad, they don't understand. Mm -hmm. is, is that when you don't have other biological children and you're an adoptive parent and you are raising two adopted children, people, you know, may say, are you, you know, raising them as if they were your own? Well, there's no point of normal or frame of reference. This is their normal. So to say that is almost offensive, if you will. It's almost as if this is outside that, that the box. Right. And I guess from an outsider's perspective, maybe it's just curiosity at a different situation than they're used to. But I wouldn't even fathom to ask somebody that because I would just assume that it's normal, you know, the same as any other family, whether it's blended or, you know, biological or adopted or foster or whatever. I would think it would be just kind of the same. And that's really what we as an adoption community and you and I with our podcast, it, we're really trying to do. We're really trying to make all of this normal and mm -hmm. just family and trying to break down those walls and barriers. And, you know, as a child growing up, I would go to friends' houses that were not part of the adoption triad. And I would see their brothers and sisters and their interactions and I'd watch it on TV and it was all the same. Right. It wasn't any different than, than mine was, you know, we fought and we got along just like everybody else. <laughs> so it wasn't, but, but I agree with you. I think that every household has their own norms. Um, you know, what they will accept, what they won't accept. It was just my brother and I. So mm -hmm. we had a lot of attention and a lot of the focus was on us. Whereas if you have a larger family, like I do, um, and we have a non-traditional family being that we have a, a blended family, you are not able to focus on, you know, one child to the extent that you can, if you only have two, when right. you have six in a house, it just doesn't, their time just doesn't allow for it. Well, that makes sense. And, you know, I think something that would contribute more to a different upraising than adoption or biological would be just the dynamics. You know, we've talked about age range and separation between the children as far as ages, birth order, all those things. I think they come into play more so than adopted or not adopted. I actually agree with you 100%. 
uh, I will say having a blended family and disrupting the birth order definitely did shift some things for some of our kids. Mm -hmm. And really only two of them were shifted out of their order. And so everybody else was able to, to maintain the same. Uh, so it was pretty, it was a pretty, I don't want to say seamless, but it, cause it wasn't seamless. You know, it, it, there's <laughs> always going to be hiccups and walls and, and issues to address when you have six children and everybody is under the same roof, but you learn so much. I think as a member of a large family that I didn't learn as a member of a smaller family. So, mm-hmm. you know, with eight in house, we have nine total, I mean, of us, I would say we have seven children, but one of them is on her own. Right. Uh, so, but being a part of a family of nine, you do, you learn a lot because I think it, it, it pushes you to grow in areas that maybe, you know, you wouldn't have grown. In other words, I've read studies where they say that larger families do teach children to share more and to compromise. And, you know, I didn't have these things really growing up, so I don't share well. <laughs> I don't. Right. <laughs> um, I I do compromise well, but I don't share well, and so you know that's just one attribute. Uh, and how many were in your when your family growing up? Uh, there were four of us, so we're kind of right in the middle of that. And now, when it comes to sharing, it's interesting that you bring that up because I feel like I share very well, except when it comes <laughs> when it comes to food. I'm not good at sharing food. That's the worst because, you know, if somebody sticks their hand in my French fries, I get territorial because we didn't have a lot of food growing up. My mom couldn't afford it. So you kind of held on. But as far as like toys and stuff, I have no problem with that. I love sharing things now, you know, and, and giving people things that are mine that I'm like, you know what? I think you'll get better use out of it. But food, that's a different story. That's funny you say that because I actually have the the same issue because I look at it like this. So if I have a hamburger and one child wants a bite, Mm -hmm. all other five in the house are going to come and want a bite. Then there's no more hamburger. (laughs) That's exactly true. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. And even when I was dating Lisa, for instance, when we would go out and she would start eating my fries I would, I mean, we're dating. I'm trying to be on my best behavior, but in the back of my head, I'm going, why didn't you order fries? (laughs) (laughs) If you wanted them so bad. (laughs) So a little honesty is coming out here. (laughs) I've also heard about Lisa, about your wife. Uh, Adam has shared this with me and you know that they're uh, brother and sister. Mm -hmm. That Lisa will wait until there is one bite left and then ask for it. Yep. True. She did that to me just the other day. She still does that. And she won <laughs> six. So exactly. Yeah. 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 According to an article titled "Sibling Issues in Foster Care and Adoption" by Child Welfare Information Gateway, sibling relationships are emotionally powerful and critically important not only in childhood but over the course of a lifetime. As children, siblings form a child's first peer group, and they typically spend more time with each other than with anyone else. 
Children learn social skills, particularly in sharing and managing conflict from negotiating with brothers and sisters. Sibling relationships can provide a significant source of continuity throughout a child's lifetime and are likely to be the longest relationships that most people experience. The nature and importance of sibling relationships vary for individuals depending on their own circumstances and developmental stage. Typically, there is rivalry in the preschool years. Variability in closeness during middle childhood, depending on the level of warmth in the relationship, and less sibling closeness in adolescence when teens are focused on peers. An extensive body of research addresses issues of birth order, gender, age spacing, and other influences on sibling relationships. Research has demonstrated that warmth in sibling relationships is associated with less loneliness, fewer behavior problems, and higher self-worth. Margit Kosinen studied the emotional support and help that siblings provide and found that when they needed help, children would first seek out their mothers, but then turn to older siblings for support even before they would go to their fathers. She also found that for isolated children, as in the case for many children in foster care, sibling support is especially crucial. For these children, an older sibling was often their only perceived source of help. So what I think is so important about this article is it really emphasizes the importance of siblings. So families that are looking, you know, that have one child and and are looking at adopting a second child, I'm a big proponent of multiple children. It's not for everybody. I understand that some parents, you know, have a child and they feel this is what they can handle and this is what's right and they should stick to what is right for their family. That being said, I just personally have seen it's it's like puppies for instance when uh when puppies are are nipping at each other and they're litter mates the other puppy will yip really loud and that signals to the puppy that's biting to stop too hard siblings kind of do the same thing Mm -hmm. and it's uh remember those old games it wasn't ping pong ball it was those uh where you'd pull the the lever on the machine and then the ball would do this. What is that called? Pinball? Yeah. (laughs) And and you know how it just kind of keeps you like in the center of the game? Right. Right? Down the middle? Kind of what siblings do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I will watch my girls and one of them will come out in something, uh, in a skirt, and then the other sister will say, that's short. Too short. Mm -hmm. and you know then they'll kind of argue back and forth and then most of the time without me even saying anything my daughter will walk back in the room and change it right it's kind of you know that pinball machine to where it keeps kind of keeps everybody in check if you will or another example would be uh when my youngest son decides to exert himself and gets a little mouthy before anybody can have a chance to say anything. One of the kids is chiming in at him to stop being disrespectful. And so it's, it is that pinball approach. Right. And so I think that it is, it is very healthy. And I would love to see more studies on just relationships in between siblings. I know that there are some out there, but not to the extent we're so focused as an adoption community on nature versus nurture and and what that really looks like. But yet the siblings would give us that platform if we really studied more about siblings Mm -hmm. to really dive deeper into nature versus nurture and so forth. So that would be, that would be fascinating to me. I agree a thousand percent. And like I said before, as I was going through the information on here, it really did bring me back 
and remind me of how important my relationship with my brother and my two sisters was in my own, because I was the youngest. So in my own um, becoming who I am and getting those boundaries from, you know, my mom gave me certain parental boundaries, but my siblings showed me those boundaries from the point of view of somebody that was much closer in age to me. So I could look up to my oldest sister and go, oh, she did it that way. And I kind of followed suit or my brother and go, I want to be like my brother. And I would follow suit. And it really, it's amazing how much it made me think how these family dynamics were important to me growing up personally. And you grew up with a disability. How did your siblings influence either positively or negatively that aspect of your life? I think that they rallied around me a little bit because of it. And they they supported me knowing that, okay, he's got this thing that he can't really change or do anything about and kind of hinders what he's able to do. And I think that they kind of took me under their wing. You know what I mean? And so it, it was helpful because... Otherwise, I would have felt like just an outcast and like I'm different from everybody. But even being different, they were supportive of me. And then I think even when I started developing relationships in my own sphere of other peers, you know what I mean? Like I would look for people who wouldn't uh, that would support me. I mean, we would all kind of tease each other and joke around about things just like my family would. But I always knew there was support and I looked for that in friends and, and then eventually in relationships, you know, so. They set the bar. Yeah, they really did. I mean, they affect, I, it makes me really want to call all my family members and say, hey, thanks just for being you and just the relationships we had growing up. Because much like you and your brother, we fought, we loved, we had a great time and we had some hard times and, you know, some knockdown drag outs, but it was, it was all a blessing to me. Yeah. And they know you better than anybody in the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that those relationships are so important. You know, when I was able to reunite with my biological mom, I met my two brothers and, you know, I have, I believe an amazing relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't grow up together, but the connection we have is still incredible. So I, yeah, I feel so blessed to have them in my life. So I completely understand absolutely what you're saying. In, in what you just read a couple minutes ago, mm-hmm. you say that the research has demonstrated that warmth in sibling relationships is associated with less loneliness, fewer behavior problems, and higher self-worth. I really believe that statement to be true. I can't tell you how many times my nine-year-old would, in the past two years, would come home from school and you know, say so-and-so was, you know, picking on me on the bus or somebody did this and all the siblings were jumping up saying, I got it. I got it. No, I got it. And then, you know, his um, now 12 year old sister was like, I already handled it. Right. <laughs> so it was just, you know, it, it, it's neat to watch. And as a parent, there's nothing in the world like turning around and seeing two of your children hugging each other during a hard Mm -hmm. moment or supporting each other without you asking them to. So I think it's really incredible. I agree. And to connect that actually with the, uh, the question you had for me before about the disability, it brings to mind a particular story of when I was in high school, 
I was a uh, sophomore and or maybe I was a freshman and my brother was a senior. So he was a couple of years ahead. And one of my peers, one of my friends had teased me about my eyes and my brother saw this from down the uh, corridor or whatever you call it from down the sidewalk, basically. And when I had gone to my class, that kid walked around the corner to where my brother was waiting and my brother put him against the wall and said, you don't mess with him. And I found out about this obviously later. I was, I was just doing my thing and it really, it was heartwarming because it was like, wow, he really would stand up for me and, you know, just kind of put somebody in their place and say, Hey, that's not acceptable. And I thought that was pretty cool, but yeah, same thing. It's, it's amazing. And, and it goes to say, you know, nobody outside the family can touch one of your siblings except for the sibling in that family. Right. That same brother would, you know, punch me in the right. arm and give me wedgies and all right. that all day long. And that's fine. <laughs> and yeah, no, I totally, I totally get it. So some common questions that we get asked by adoptive families are, when is the best time to begin a second adoption? When the time is right for you? Mm-hmm. There is, you know, adoptions can take, a while or they can happen very quickly. So really, when is the best time for you? Uh, regarding the birth order, should a baby be adopted to maintain the birth order? That's really what you believe. That's, you know, there are so many decisions when you are creating your family. Uh, I think birth order is one of those topics that everybody has a very strong opinion on. You know, should you stay within the birth order? Should you go outside the birth order? Does it really matter? And so to give an answer on that, I feel is really kind of touchy. Um, My personal opinion is if it was up to me, I think the birth order is established for a reason. I think that, you know, it it really does help for continuity and the children. But yet there are so many times I've seen where it's worked out great. Well, Um, even for instance, your family, like you said, the blended family, the Brady Bunch um, kind of approach to parenting, obviously that is subverted. That birth order gets all changed up because of this whole new family coming in and it's worked out great for you guys. So. Yes. Oh, but not without our hiccups and issues. And you know what I mean? Like it, it, it would be um, naive to think going into building our blended family that it was going to be all, you know, roses and (laughs) rainbows and no, you know, that's not reality. Right. Um, But the changing of the birth order did not have a negative effect in our household. The children did acclimate. They have done very well with it. And again, only two of them were really butted out. Right. This place from their position. And so it wasn't significant. There wasn't a whole lot of change up. So that was helpful. Uh, Should I adopt the same race as my first baby? I do get asked this question a lot. And again, that's not for me to decide. Uh, In the adoption world, some families are colorblind. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter to them. Other families uh, want to appear as if there was no adoption. They want the children to look like them. They want to appear like, you know, there's, they don't want to answer questions. They don't uh, take on the Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt approach. I think all families are beautiful. And I think that 
you have to choose what's ever right for you. And again, there are so many stances on this that you really have to go with the research that you have read and done on your own and what you believe in. Mm -hmm. What if the birth parents of my adopted child experience a second unplanned pregnancy and choose adoption? Well, in our agency, and I can just speak for building Arizona families, we always ask the birth mother if she would like to have the same family if she chooses to do a second adoption. And this is something that we do encourage. I love to keep siblings together. I think that's ideal, but not every birth mother will choose that. So when families say, should I wait and see if she gets pregnant again? Well, I mean, you've got a chance that it might happen, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to choose you. Mm -hmm. So it really depends what I've seen on the relationship that is built after the first adoption. If there's a really close relationship and the post-adoption communication agreement has been followed and everybody is having a good time, then usually they will choose the adoptive family. Right. But when it doesn't go as well, then they don't. Now, it also would depend upon the adoptive family. Maybe they just don't want another child, even though, you know what I mean? Does that yes. happen often? Sometimes. Okay. So we've had birth mothers where... They've come to the agency three times and yes, we do very much teach and preach uh, birth control, mm -hmm. but they've come three times. Uh, <laughs> and at the third placement, the family said, we can't, we can't do anymore. Like this is, this is our limit. Right. And I totally understand that. And I do see for them, it will be very difficult if the birth mother comes back to the agency pregnant again. Because obviously we'll reach out and, and let them know and if she wants to have them adopt this baby as well. But to know that there is another child out there that somebody else is then going to adopt. What I have seen people do is have a communication agreement informally between the two adoptive families so that the siblings can still maintain some contact. Mm. I have seen that. Wow. It's something that's really formal. It's, it's an informal, but it, that is nice, especially for the children. Uh, so, Yes, we have had families that have said, you know what, I just, I just can't, I just can't. Mm -hmm. And that happens. Should I choose a gender this time? Uh, we actually don't do gender preferences. When you are having your own biological child, um, there aren't really special requests. And so uh, we as an agency have done away with the, the gender requests. What if I prepare my child for this baby and the birth parents change their mind about placing the baby for adoption? This is a hard one. What I would say is when you are discussing adopting a second child or a third child or whatever number this is with your child or children, really be mindful of their age and give them information as they ask, mm -hmm. you know, let them know what's happening and don't give definitives. Well, this is going to happen in December. Well, this is going to happen this. What you can say is, is that, you know, if you have a child under the age of five is we're looking to adopt again and we're really excited about this happening and we'll have to wait and see. And as it gets closer and, you know, you can inform a little bit, but you definitely don't want to get a child's hopes up. Mm -hmm. uh, when you have children that are maybe between the age of five and 10 to start preparing them for a sibling, but maybe not let them know just yet when that sibling may come home because you may not know. Right. Again, as they get older, telling them as they need to know and, and definitely enough time to prepare, but not too much where they get anxious and, 
you know, they're counting off days with you and hours and that can be overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. And expectations can be, you know, just shot down and it breaks the heart of the child just as much as the parents. So if you don't raise and elevate those expectations too high, it'll help cushion that blow. Exactly. What if uh, the birth parents want a different type of post-adoption communication agreement? So this situation usually comes if a family is adopting from a different birth mother. So if they have an adoption, uh, post-adoption communication agreement with one set of birth parents and a different one, again, you just explain to the children, this is what was right for your birth mother. And this is how she wanted it to go. And this was right for your birth mother. And this is how she wanted it to go. And then as they get older, you can take it a step further and maybe explain why, you know, maybe your mom wasn't in a place where she had a consistent telephone or computer and she wasn't able to keep up the contact or maybe your mom, you know what I mean? So there's reasons why, but again, explaining it when they're very young is just confusing. Mm -hmm. And so trying to give them age appropriate answers is what to focus on. After I bring my second baby home, how do I answer the question? Are they siblings? Yes. So we as a society have taken a lot of liberties in what we say and ask people that we don't know. And people that we kind of know that we're acquaintances with. And I would love for that to stop because I think that it is very inappropriate and almost hurtful when I have a family call me and they're standing in line at Walmart and they may have children they have adopted that are different races and somebody will turn around and ask if they're babysitting or if they're a foster home. And it's offensive. So... When people ask if they're siblings, of course they're siblings. You've adopted two children. Mm -hmm. I would say that's all you need to answer. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they have the same biological mom or not. If you are raising them as siblings, then just leave it there. Now, do you think that's getting better as time? I mean, because when you look at the Angelina Jolie's and Brad Pitt's and all that and the families that they've created, I think that shines a light on it. And I think people are less apt nowadays to ask something that could be hurtful or offensive like that just because it is becoming a little more normal to see families that are so diverse i think in some areas yes i do think that angelina Jolie has done wonders for the Mm -hmm. adoption world i really do uh i do think in some areas yes but i think as a whole even outside of adoption i think that people go you know into areas of questioning that are highly inappropriate and frankly, none of their business. Okay. Another question I get asked is how many babies are enough? Our birth parents keep coming back pregnant, but I don't want to adopt our child siblings. And we, we talked about that a couple mm-hmm. minutes ago. Really, that's up to you. And you're not under an obligation to, you know, keep because they keep getting pregnant and having babies to keep adopting them. You know? Right. You don't want to be the little old woman that lived in a shit. You know, so many children, she didn't know what to do. Like, I get it. (laughs) So um, that is absolutely your choice. When a child does have a different adoption story, maybe theirs is, is unique. And I think every, actually, every child's adoption story is unique. They're like snowflakes. I know we've talked about birth mothers as snowflakes in the past. And I think that it's important to celebrate the differences, understanding that children really don't want to be looked at as different. Mm-hmm. They want to be the same as everybody else. You know, when I was a child, people would come up to me and say, oh, you're so lucky you got adopted. 
first of all, I didn't really want them coming up to me and telling me that I was adopted. And second of all, telling me that I was lucky, I had no frame of reference what it would have been like to be unlucky. Mm -hmm. So what they were saying was more for them than it was for me, because all they did was single me out. It wasn't, you know, like I had an aha moment or the ball dropped and I was like, wow, I'm lucky. Like it, it, it wasn't like that. Children really want to be, you know, birds of a feather flock together. Mm-hmm. They really want to be birds of a feather. They don't want to be the ostrich, you know, in the group of, of cardinals. Right. And so they want to be the same. Well, I was just wondering if if the wording was different. For instance, if somebody came up to you and was talking to you about it and said, I think that's cool, as opposed to, I think you're so lucky. Do you think that would have changed your perception of what they were saying? No. no. Even when you no. just say, I think that's cool, you know, kind of keeping it casual, it just, it still singles no. you out as different. Well. Okay. And, you know, only speaking for myself and the children that I've worked with, mm-hmm. uh, no. They don't want to be singled out. Okay. It would be no different than somebody coming up to you. You wanted to be as normal as everybody else. Mm-hmm. You wanted to be looked at, mm-hmm. it, right? Right. So if someone was to come up and say, it's so cool that you can see, you know, so many shades of gray, <laughs> would you be like, okay, that's kind of cool. Or would you be like, yeah. I Now, if they had said that, that would, uh, that would definitely make me feel singled out. But if they said... I think it's cool how, you know, despite your eyesight issues, you are still able to do something that a lot of people wouldn't, I, because I would see it as a compliment. I, you know what I, I, then that's a personal thing. Maybe that's why I asked you the question, but I would see that as, oh, okay, they're, they're noticing that, okay, yeah, I'm different, but I'm able to achieve some degree of normalcy through how I conduct my, myself. And I just wanted to be normal like everybody else. Yeah. And again, I tried to avoid people even knowing that I had eyesight problems as much as I could. So, like, I guess I'm talking about a friend coming up that knew. But if somebody else, like a stranger, came up and said, oh, I can tell you're legally blind, and I think it's cool that... Yeah, so I guess that would single me out in a different way and make me feel not normal. To put it out there, I'm not comparing being adopted with having a disability. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that anything... And everything that singles a child out from the pack mm-hmm. of, you know, normalcy, per se. Um, anything that's a deviation from the traditional standard, I guess, crowd, if you will, mm-hmm. is often perceived um, as, as not the same. And kids right. want to be the same. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's totally fair. And the, when I kind of put it in my own mind as a perspective from a stranger as opposed to somebody who knows me better like I was you know like in my head I put in a certain friend that would talk to me about it and it never offended me because that person knew me in a closer relationship but somebody from outside of that that didn't know anything about me yeah I would feel like singled out and and denormalized and and I tell you that even as a young adult I had just had my oldest daughter. So I was in my early, early twenties and I was on a jog with a family member. I don't want to say who, but with a family member. And she said to me, it's so hard to believe that you're adopted. Mm -hmm. I remember I, I stopped jogging and I looked at her and I asked why. 
And she said, because you're so much like us. Hmm. And so immediately it was like, I was being pushed, you know, into a different category. Right. And I was like them, but it was a reminder that, you know, biologically I wasn't. Right. And so it was, yeah, it that was hard. Okay. So, and that was long time ago, decades ago. And I remember it like it was yesterday. So that would be another example of, yeah. She didn't mean it in, in, in a bad way. Mind but you. She didn't mean it at all. Right. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure she meant no malice whatsoever, but that's exactly how you would feel. You know, like, I, I'm not good enough to be part of you. Exactly. Okay. There's some really interesting points made by an article titled Preparing Children for the Adoption of a Sibling, Recommendations for Families Considering Intercountry Adoptions by Laura Beauvais-Godwin. The article's very relatable for domestic adoptions because it describes the preparation for the addition of another sibling. One of the recommendations made is to share with your children of all ages that you are considering adoption once that discussion becomes serious and you begin to talk on the phone or schedule meetings with an adoption agency. It's also important to know how your children feel about having another brother or sister. However, it should be clear that they are not part of the ultimate decision to adopt. Adoption is an adult decision. You should talk frequently about the adoption to come, discuss what it will be like to bring a new child into your home, make a list of some of the good things about having another brother or sister, and another list of some of the challenges to expect. And finally, every adopted child has a history before arriving in the family's home. Certain details may not be appropriate to share. So if you feel that some information is too sensitive and your other children might repeat it to others, for instance, you may choose not to disclose it to them. Every child has a right to their own history and if, when, and how it's fully shared with others. This article was was very, I think, relatable for those that are, you know, adopting and for those that have a non-traditional family, mm-hmm. almost like a modern family, like I know there was that show, I've never seen it, but I've heard lots about it. You know, we, we began with a quote, so I, I wanted to end with a quote. And this is a Vietnamese proverb. Brothers and sisters are as close as hands and feet. Thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. If you're listening and you're dealing with an unplanned pregnancy and want more information about adoption, Building Arizona Families is a local Arizona adoption agency and available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. That's 623-695-4112. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan or just get you more information. You can also find out more information about Building Arizona families on their website at azpregnancyhelp.com. Thanks also go out to Grapes for allowing us to use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Birth Mother Matters and Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to us. We'd really appreciate it. We also now have a website at birthmothermatterspodcast.com. Tune in next time on Birth Mother Matters and Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Raines.